Welcome to Priority Message Series 1. This podcast is brought to you by the Fire and Rescue Services Association, a trade union within the Fire and Rescue Service that is independent and member-led. You can find out more about FRSA by visiting frsa.org.uk. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the FRSA podcast and the subject of today's conversation and I'm joined by Tristan Ashby, our Chief Executive Officer, is to talk about the proposals that we've recently seen announced within Warwickshire Fire and Rescue Service. Um, So I'm going to go straight to you Tristan and ask the question, what's going on? (laughs) It's a a pertinent, important question Ben and, and Welcome again to another podcast and thanks for being involved in this. Um, What is going on in Warwickshire? Well, I can give you the information that I know, but ultimately um, the senior leadership team in Warwickshire have come up with a set of proposals that are, are unique as far as we're concerned that pose lots and lots of questions, which I'm sure you will touch on over the course of this podcast. Um, So there's going to be lots of questions you're going to ask that I'm not going to be able to answer because there's lots of holes in the proposal. We've tried to um, follow up with the service and get those holes filled, have those questions asked and have those answers available to our members. At the moment, we're struggling. But ultimately, um, Warwickshire Fire and Rescue Service have come up with a set of proposals on the back of a claim that the on-call duty system is not fit for purpose is at such a low level in in terms of availability that they need to come up with an alternative solution. That's that's the high-level reason as to why they've made a set of proposals that they have. And I'm sure we'll discuss um, in more detail of what we know what those alternative proposals are. I think it's important to capture at this moment in time that whilst the FRSA is orientated towards the on-call and that's where we originated from, um, with that said, we have a growing number of whole, uh, whole-time membership, which is fantastic, and also Green Book membership. It's important to note that at the end of the day, if, if, if this was about improve, massive improvement in, in service to the public, which is ultimately what we're all, all coming to work to do, then we'd get that, wouldn't we? We'd, we're open-minded enough to say, at the end of the day, our job is to serve the public. And and, and we're open to that conversation, aren't we? Um, how, however, the, the statement that the on-call doesn't work and their proposal, if I'm right in, in my understanding of, of eliminating the on-call as we currently see it from their service entirely, it is somewhat staggering, given that we see plenty of on-call fire cover across the UK working working well, and in many places working extremely well and extremely cost-effectively. Um, what would your thoughts be on that? No, I, I, I absolutely support what you've said. We are a modern, open-minded organisation, member-led, and we are not naive enough to know or, to, or to, to claim that there's not a problem in a number of services, including Warwickshire, in terms of recruitment and retention of their on-call staff. Um, one thing I think we would all agree on is the status quo is not an option and that something needs to happen. 
So we are signed up to that. We are mm-hmm. we are more than happy to work with any organisation to come up with a solution, whether that be um, a tweak here and a tweak there, whether that be a fundamental review of how emergency cover is delivered. Uh, the problem we've got with the proposals in Warwickshire is that they just don't stand up to scrutiny at the moment. Yeah. Um, we can only go by the information that we've been given, the information that is now publicly available through the Warwickshire County Council website and the presentation that we've um, been given access to that has been shared with serving on-call firefighters and whole-time firefighters across the county. Now, what, what ultimate... Sorry. Sorry, what I was just going to suggest, Tristan, is um, because I imagine there's going to be all sorts of people uh, looking at this and um, we know there's had significant interest from MPs and other parts of uh, government... So when you say the status quo, so going back to what you said about the status quo, within the on-call in general terms is no longer an option. You're referring to the fact that the on-call has increasingly become under the spotlight for performance and availability, whilst at the same time, in general, the on-call have seen very little improvement in their terms and conditions over the last 30 years and the kind of changes that would drive and support the changes in societies to changing people's working, working lives. And that's, this, and that's how a huge frustration, isn't it, that underpins where conversations like this take us. Well, society has evolved mm-hmm. and we're still using a model that was fit for purpose in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and, and before that, when people predominantly lived and worked in their local community, we acknowledge and understand that. So, yeah, what I mean by the status quo is not an option, um, the on-call model has got to revolve. Absolutely. But, but that but that that includes encompasses a number of things it, it, in terms of the perverse incentive of only getting paid for the number of calls that you respond to availability mm-hmm. needs to be covered as well um, the fact that people work more dynamically now than they ever have done before and that we need to make sure that um, we are exploring we are marketing the role we are looking at people who wouldn't normally see the fire service as a career option. Um, to make them aware and make that attractive to those people. So the, the status quo that I'm referring to is that we can't live in the past and think that it worked, what worked decades ago is going to yeah. work today. It's not. But fundamentally, sorry to, to keep on, fundamentally, and I strongly believe this, the main piece of evolution that needs to, to take place is the management of on-call units. And I don't necessarily mean the watch manager on, on on the stations i mean the managerial um elements and levels outside of that that make big decisions that can have a detrimental impact on the ability for on-call firefighters to go about the role that they dearly love and they want to perform is being hampered by the way that they are being managed and I think what we would point people to, people who want to understand more about this, I, I would really recommend the podcast you did with Steve Healy from the NFCC, yep. who it just is full of that enthusiasm for the on-call, sees the potential, sees the blockers and the barriers, and is, and is one of those spokespersons who's looking to push their way through the, the challenges. Uh, but those blockers are sizable. But the options for change exist 
There is, there is no excuse why any service individually or collectively cannot change. All the solutions that are out there, and there's numerous local and national reports that are publicly available. If anybody wants access to them, I can provide access to them. Um, the, the, the problems that have been highlighted back, you know, back in the 90s are pretty much the same problems as of today, but more importantly, the solutions are there. So in terms of changing a contract outside of the grey book, any service can do that if they so wished. Mm-hmm. They do not have to worry about what is in the grey book if that is a barrier. They do not necessarily need to have a collective agreement with um, the FBU to make any necessary change. So long as certain ticks and balances, checks and balances have been made, they can progress ahead, as you are testimony to in Devon and Somerset, whereby the FRSA has entered a collective agreement with the brigade for pay for availability, which has seen massive improvement. It is, a, and it's an example of a, 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 a forward-thinking scheme that, that recognises the challenges, the change in our communities, and has been centred around uh, looking at meeting those needs so that uh, Devon and Somerset, one of the biggest rural uh, fire services in the UK, have had to to look at those those solutions and those options. Yeah. So I think that's a useful piece of context nationally. So into Warwickshire, what's going on? Is it true that they are looking at eliminating their on-call model as it currently is? Well, <clears throat> um, great question. And you would have think, well, no, it's not actually what they're looking to do. There must be some other reason. It must be terminology or something. But... Again, based on the information we've got, I have to say, Ben, that Warwickshire proposals are looking to eradicate on-call firefighters in their entirety within the county. Okay. So 120, approximately 120 on-call firefighters that are currently serving, they are going to lose that role. They will no longer be on-call firefighters should the current proposals that are going to go out to consultation, public consultation next month, should they be approved? So that's a, uh, a momentous suggestion and it's beyond redundancy. We're into collective redundancy kind of scales in that. So so what lies behind, what would be the rationale that would make such a suggestion and what would be the cost savings, what would be the improvement in effectiveness? Okay, so the rationale... Not that I necessarily or we necessarily agree with it, but the rationale proposed by the brigade senior leadership team is that the on-call availability trend, and and we've got a chart available, is on a drastic decline and has been between 2018 and today. So in 2018, the statistics, these are all statistics from the brigade, was around about 90% overall. Okay. As we sit here today, or, or um, sorry, back in September, the stats are that that's declined to 34%. I, I've actually seen a more recent stat of October, which suggests it's at 40%. But the senior leadership team has said that is not sustainable. We agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we don't agree with is that their conclusion is the on-call duty system is broken, not fit for purpose, and therefore we are going to dismantle that duty system and look at an alternative. Yeah. That, that means, sorry, I'll add, I'll add a bit more flesh to the bone on that. That means that nine on-call stations will be no more. Okay. Now, the brigade is saying, well, we're not closing any stations. 
And technically, that's correct. None of those stations are going to close, be locked up and sold. They, those buildings will still, under the proposals, those buildings will still be there. The trouble is there will be no people to, to, to respond to that station because there will be no on-call firefighters at that station. We're not even sure whether there'll be an appliance at those stations. So for all intents and purposes, they are being closed, really. In, in addition to that, um, there are on-call units at three other stations um, in the county. They will all be removed as well. So that's nine stations and three other on-call units will all disappear. Okay. So you mentioned they're proposing a new way of working, a new system. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I can tell you a bit more about it. I really can't tell you, despite asking and trying to understand, what I can't tell you is how it's actually going to work effectively. So the brigade have done some analysis, and they believe they need uh, 12 appliances available um, during peak periods. Their, their definition of a peak period is between 8 in the morning and 10 at night. Um, outside of those hours, they can run with eight appliances being available. They believe that those 12 and those eight appliances can be solely whole time. For other times when there might be what I call spate conditions, when you need up to 20 appliances, their data analysis has said that happens on approximately four occasions every five years. So on the data says that on average, four occasions in five years, they will need more than 12 up to 20 appliances. And to fill that gap, they are going to put together something called surge teams, which, as I understand it, will, will be people who will give availability. And when they are called to respond, they have to guarantee that they will respond to form a surge team that will provide um, the additional appliances between 12 and 20. In addition to that, there will be an undefined number of people who will sit on fire stations between the hours of uh, six in the evening to 10 at night, who will be able to respond to fire calls. In addition to that, they will provide prevention and protection uh, duties. Um, when we've queried that, uh, it's pretty obvious you're not going to necessarily be able to do prevention and protection duties throughout that whole four hours. You, you know, nobody's going to want them around the house at eight, nine o'clock at night. Um, and it's been acknowledged that that's more than likely going to be between six and eight and between eight and 10, they're going to be sitting on a fire station that will also encompass training. Okay. Because one of the queries we've got is that if you are a member of a surge team and you are only going to be required four times every five years, um, how on earth are you going to maintain your competency? Yeah. The, the response to that from the brigade has been that you cannot be solely a, a member of the surge team. You will have to have some other operational role. Yeah. 
Now, whether that means that that's going to be whole time within the county, whether that means that's people who fill those part-time roles, whether that's people coming from outside of the county, we don't know. We've not been told. I would expect at this stage in launching a consultation that that would be clear, transparent and and, and dis- describable how the new role works. Because if, as an organisation, if you're looking to eliminate a way of working, introduce a new way of working, which is a big gamble if you haven't you've done a trial first. And, and the question arises, what happens if it doesn't work out? Because you're never going to get those those on-call firefighters back, are you? You are, you are absolutely certain. This is a point we've made to the cabinet members. We wrote to all cabinet members prior to their meeting uh, where they were going to decide whether this proposal goes out to public consultation. And that's one of the points, is that when they're gone, they're gone. You are not going to get these on-call firefighters coming back. And you will struggle to recruit from scratch on-call units. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is this is not us being over dramatic. This is um, a massive proposal that will have long lasting implications. L- long after the likes of Benbrook, who's the current chief, who, who've, who's um, put his name to this, long after they've retired. Yeah. So, so just I want to pick up on the point you made that you, in order to apply for a, to be a member of a search team, you would have to be have operational competency from somewhere else um so uh, and i'm interested in in the accessibility of this role and and i'm interested in the impact on diversity within the within that within the this that employer within the service because as as we know generally uh, an on-call and whole time in employer the majority of their diversity of their uh, uh, staff are generally found in the on call. That's where you find diversity. So I, I think it's fair to make a, a to a conclusion that is there's a, a possibility that by eliminating the on call as it currently is, there's going to be a huge effect on the diversity within their organisation. And then the alternative employments that are likely to be offered is then going to come with some pr- prohibition if, if if they don't have operational experience uh, maintained from somewhere else. That. To me, that sounds worrying and questionable as to how fair that might be. Well, I think, again, you raise a really, really good point on this. We've got the uh, what is deemed to be the equality impact assessment. It doesn't cover this. It doesn't cover a number of points that we would have expected it to. Because you're right, if you are going to recruit to these surge teams from within, we already know that we've got a, a diversity issue in the current establishments, not just in Warwickshire, but across the country. Cool. So if you're going to recruit from within, that's not that diversity is not going to be improved. No. If no. you are going to recruit from outside of the county, and you need to have um, operational an operational background and maintain your competency, again, you are not going to improve diversity. Yeah. So there, there's a massive flaw in this proposal just on the diversity aspect alone. Yeah, and they have. As I, as I felt it, made it made clearly that, that, that those that are on call are going to be impacted will have that additional that alternative employment option. But then, by what you're saying, that that option is is potentially uh, potentially not then available to them. So, that our understanding again that the dev, the details just not out there. The, our, our understanding is that the, the brigade thinks and expects the 120 on call firefighters 
to fit into their new model of being um, a member of the surge team and to undertake these part-time contracts where they're four hours. We're assuming Monday to Friday. It could be seven days a week. We're not, we're not 100% sure because the, de- the detail isn't out there. We don't know whether the expectation would be that they provide one day a week, two, three, mm-hmm. four, four. We have, mm-hmm. you know, that detail's not out there. And having done a straw poll with members currently, we haven't come across anybody who's currently serving as on call in Warwickshire who thinks that this would be a viable job for them right because we know how the encore works you know being being um available to respond from your primary employment to an emergency is very different to actually sitting on a station for four hours a day yeah particularly during an evening when you, know, you want to spend time valuable time with your family absolutely it, it's it's completely unfamily friendly uh-huh and I think the point you eloquently highlighted about this probably being less attractive to um, parents and mothers is going to be heightened, Yes, which, which is surely the opposite of what any such proposal should seek to do. Yeah. And as an on-call firefighter myself, I know that doing a day's work, then going doing a drill night, uh, you know, two, two, three hours of uh, hard training work makes it a long day uh, a tiring day how anybody could do that five to seven days a week i find incredibly questionable it just wouldn't be feasible would it and there'd be impacts on from the working time directive in, in reality and health and safety uh, i say has, has any information uh, been given about that unfortunately not and 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 this is this is the problem and you and I, um, outside of this pod, have, have grappled with this in that we've got a proposal, a, a monumental proposal that, you know, 26 years, I've never seen anything like this, where mm-hmm. um, a service that relies so heavily as it does on on-call is looking to remove the on-call mm-hmm. in its entirety. We've had other areas such as West Midlands, funnily enough, which is where Ben Brook, the, the current chief, comes from that doesn't now have any on call but used to a station here or a station there we've experienced that but not on this level that this is something else so when you when you make such a proposal you make such a proposal on the basis of a number of things one that you've identified a problem and there is a problem we get that two you identify a solution that is going to improve the problem not convinced that that's actually going to happen on this because of the lack of detail, but also that you need to be really, really confident that your proposal is going to stand up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Now I had a me- meeting with a member of SLT um, last month, but very, very pleasant individual. It was a very cordial um, hour and 15 minutes, but on the back of the limited information I had, I asked what I thought was quite basic, obvious questions, a number of questions you've already asked and, and that you will ask. And the response that I received time and time again was, we haven't done that piece of work yet. So in turn, let, let's look at the surge team. Assuming that surge team is viable, you, you must have an indication as to how, many, how easy it is to recruit to that role. 
-hmm. must have an indication of how much it's going to cost because mm -hmm. you're not going to know whether someone's going to take up that role without knowing how much they're going to be recompensed. None of that work is available. None of that information is available. And our understanding is that any of this fundamental um, pieces of information that are not available, the reason that they're not available is they don't exist. So this has gone, this consultation has gone live, having been um, sanctioned by uh, the cabinet within the, the council. How did they not scrutinise this? How did they not pick up on these huge gaps of information and analysis? So the, the process is, and you're quite right again, that the, the, the employer comes up with a, a proposal. It goes to elected members. The governance model will vary from brigade to brigade, from a mayor, from a police uh, fire and crime commissioner, uh, from a combined fire authority and a county fire authority. Warwickshire is a county fire authority, and they run uh, the cabinet system. So there are, I think there are nine cabinet members, one of which has a portfolio uh, of which fire and rescue is contained in. The proposal, the paper went to cabinet on the 9th of November. The um, proposal was published uh, for public consumption a week before, as is standard. And what would you, you and I would expect, and certainly the members of the public would expect, is that those employers, those elected members, whose remit it is to govern the fire and rescue service, would scrutinise that proposal <sighs> to ensure that it's fit for purpose to go out to public consultation. Um, we'll, we will put the link to that meeting in the show notes. Yes. Because it beggars belief. Um, I was probably less surprised than others because I've, I've got experience of these fire authority meetings and the, the level of knowledge of most, not all, but most elected members of how the fire service work and particularly how the on-call duty system works. Um, on-call firefighters were referred to in that meeting as volunteers throughout. There was a clear lack of understanding as to what on-call firefighters do and their commitment. At no point when any of these misconceptions were, were commented on did the chief who was in the meeting or any other fire officer correct the elected members. We're talking about trained professionals undertaking highly skilled, complicated, um, dangerous work who were compared with, um, with the greatest respect to these people, but were compared with um, citizens advice bureau volunteers. Okay. There was another comment that this is an opportunity to get some new faces in the fire service. Now, if you're serving on call firefighter in Warwickshire, you would be quite right to be quite underwhelmed and disgusted at such comments. Yeah. You would probably feel very much undervalued by those mm -hmm. people. So when you've got such people who really, and I'm, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's got to be said that don't understand the fire service, don't understand the proposals and the magnitude of what was in front of them. It's no surprise that they didn't scrutinize the proposals and they give the, the proposals the green light to go out to public consultation for three months starting from next month. I think we have on various occasions questioned 
the, the validity of those governance models, uh, the information and the awareness of those involved in that. But that's a conversation for a different pod and one I think we should do. Um, so in terms of the finances of, of this um, uh, of this proposal, where do the finances end out? And so the f- I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I suppose the caveat would have to be that by the, by the sounds of it, it's hard to understand how a financial projection could be arrived at whilst there are still sizable uh, gaps. So, for, for, for example, if, if we don't, we haven't got a full understanding of the, of the surge um, firefighter role, uh, whatever that may be, how, how it's going to work, and also how many people are likely to leave um, employment within Warwickshire with likely redundancy costs. Um, it, it, I can't help wondering how, how accurate and how valid a financial projection could be at this moment in time. Well, the, the financial <clears throat> implications within the Cabinet paper are very, very limited. Um, and as I said earlier, the, the option 2A the Cabinet approved on the recommendation of the Chief suggests that there is a saving of £14,000. Now, we've looked at these proposals again and again and again and had different, different eyes on them. And because of the lack of financial information out there, anybody would conclude that the, the overall assumption that this is a saving of £14,000 would conclude that that cannot be accurate. So, for, as, as an example, do they know how much it would cost to recruit um, and train a, a, a new surge firefighter? Well, you would like to think so, okay. but if I was a betting man, I would bet that they probably haven't done that piece of work. And if you haven't done, you know, that's one one element that you rightly identify. If you haven't done things like that, you can't possibly predict an overall cost saving of this proposal. It's, imp- it's impossible. So looking at the uh, response to the public, which ultimately is what this is all about and what we have to have front and centre, what, what are they projected to? Uh, likely improvements to uh, appliance arrival times, response times, ERS standards. What's been what's been identified there? So, um, in answer to the question, what 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 impact will this have on response times? Now, I think there is an argument as to the credibility and value of response times. That's a separate argument. Speaking to a, a, another chief in another brigade, who questioned. Um, the importance of response times and having these arbitrary targets and, and having a more meaningful way of doing that. But, but putting that aside, looking at this, the, the, the paper says that under delivery model 2A, which is the one that's going to public consultation, that the current first appliance attendance time is 10 minutes, 37 seconds. Under the proposal, the uh, attendance time will reduce by 17 seconds to 10 minutes, 20 seconds. Now, you could view that as positive, and yeah, it is positive, but what does that actually mean? What's the impact assessment on those 17 seconds? What, is, you know, what, 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 what difference will that ultimately make? The, the detail's not out there. It's just a stat that you can say, well, we're going to get to an incident quicker uh, 75% of the time. Uh, in terms of the second appliance, which is interesting, the current attendance time is 14 minutes, 16 seconds. That will increase, not decrease, to 14 minutes, 28 seconds under proposal 2A. 
So, you know, if again, the argument about attendance times is, is separate, but if there were significant improvements in those attendance times, it, it would be willing to take note. You know, you'd sit up and you'd take note of that and you can have a further discussion. But you're talking about 17 seconds improvement on the first appliance. You're actually talking about 12 seconds slower on the second appliance. But that's then coupled with a far lesser um, set of resilience behind those those now whole time appliances because the, the loss of the and this is something that I've what, what I've learned in my experience is that you, you can grab the data that that makes your argument, can't you? And, and, in, and in general, the resilience argument is is often dis, discounted from these conversations. So. You know, imagine you've got a four pump house fire going on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting within the new model so that there's just whole time appliances, no on call cover, just surge teams, whoever they are and whatever they're doing. You have a house fire, then you have another instant. And there is a, a geographical depletion, isn't there? Obviously, there's, there's standby moves. But what you and, and this again goes back to the details about the surge teams is when would surge teams be stood up? How much time do they need? And what's the gap between those those two event, events? Um, which traditionally on call cover is extremely good at picking up those gaps and that slack, moving around, creating standby moves, so that you have that second tier of resilience for attendance times. But in my experience, that is never modelled in uh, to those ERS. They are they are based on um, you know standard standard operating uh, models and don't look at those inconsistencies when suddenly you do have two house fires that take place at the same time yeah there, there are so many variables that and and, and this probably goes back to why the, the other chief said what he said to me there are so many variables that make the um, attendance time targets and data um, sort of irrelevant because they, they end up being meaningless yeah. you know, when you're Joe Bolt blogs and you need a fire engine, you need a fire engine. You don't care whether they're on call whole time, whether they've come from the, you know, the local station or a station further afield. You just want an appliance to turn up. Yeah. You don't, you're not interested in what happens in the background. Um, so again, you know, going back to the validity of the proposals, even the response times, the detail behind the response times that are currently presented don't really give it any legs. Yeah, uh, and a question that I'm going through my mind is: well, What about the special, the additional special vehicles like the uh, aerial platforms, the water carriers, the instant command vehicles, often crewed by on call or have on call resilience attached to them? I'm presuming now that they would be crewed by the whole time staff, which would have potentially take their their appliances off the run for them to do that. So you've got a developing escalating incident in Warwickshire where it starts off with two pump attendants, goes to four, go to six, requesting specials. At what point does the surge team get called in, stood up, and, and what duration of time would they be looking at? And th- th- this is where there's a void because these really fundamental questions that you're highlighting have not been answered. We have gotten. I mean, you can only assume that the specials will be crewed by um, whole time because that that's all that Warwickshire are ultimately going to have, other than um, you know when surge teams are, are called four times every five years. Um, and there is an implication about that. You're quite right, but yeah. but it's not covered in the proposal. That level of detail 
that should be undertaken, those pieces of work, those that due diligence has not been undertaken. And if there was an impact on Warwickshire and the service provider there, that that impact would undoubtedly then travel across to the to the bordering services, because services work together, mutual agreements to provide resilience to each other. Yeah, and 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 not only that, but while you're talking about neighbouring and other brigades, um, we've had contact with other other senior leadership team members in other brigades who are looking at Warwickshire, what Warwickshire are proposing and are very, very concerned because this isn't just, you know, a trade union looking after its members who have got massive concerns. Um, local town and parish councils that have been in contact with us have got concerns. Other brigades have got concerns. So when there's a theme of a number of people who are thinking, well, hang on a minute, what are, what are we missing here? What, how is this better? How is this safe? And there's a, a, a large amount of people and stakeholders on one side who just, just can't understand what's being proposed. But Ben Brook and his team believe this is the right thing to do. Then chances are it would suggest that Ben Brook and his team probably have got this wrong. Are there any other points that you want to raise and talk about? I think um, the, the point is, so what? What now? For our for our perspective, we've got a number of members in Warwickshire who are going to be affected by this. It's a very uncertain time for on-call firefighters per se. Um, they are they are being told that their job is likely to go in the near future should these proposals get accepted and implemented. So it's a very uncertain time when you don't know how much longer you've got in your career. That can lead to people thinking, I'm just going to leave now, which is just going to make the matter worse. Maybe that's what the service want. I don't know. So in terms of what we're going to do, we're going to start our campaign. We've already started our campaign. Um, we're going to engage as many stakeholders as we can. We are going to deconstruct the current proposal yeah. based on the information that we've got because it's, it's just not – it doesn't hold any water, it hasn't got any validity, and it needs to be shown for what it is. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for serving personnel, it's dangerous for the public. I would, I certainly know from a consultation process that took place in my own service um, about five years ago when the service proposed closing nine stations. In the end, they relocated two stations, and I would argue that the FRSA was hugely effective at deconstructing arguments and data and, and liaising with fire authority members to have really meaningful conversations that I think ultimately took us to a pretty good conclusion. But I saw um, someone from one of the proposed stations uh, a few weeks ago, and he said to me that the impact with them is lasting, that there's a, a breakdown of trust. And that ultimately, the, the on-call relies hugely on goodwill mm -hmm. and, and people's imperative to serve their communities. And and I think statements and signals that are sent out, like what we're seeing in Warsha, will undoubtedly have a, a lasting impact. on. So, and if your on-call is struggling or on a downward decline now, I do not see how they would be able to come back from this, if I'm perfectly honest. And I, and I think that's very worrying. And I would have liked to have seen that addressed, risk assessed, impact assessments, at how are we going to take our staff along this journey to a successful conclusion? And, and currently, I have 
and we haven't seen anything. And I, I know that I've challenged that in other services to say, but if you look through your documentation, you will see references made to impact, assess, impact assessments with change. Um, change processes generally expect to see impact assessments on the people that you want to take with you because you're either going to take them with you or you're going to lose them in, in terms of their buy-in and, and their trust. And my, my expectation is that the trust will be lost. I think you're picking that up already with the conversations you're having on the ground. Without doubt, you know, the, the, the trust and the relationship between those on the ground and senior leadership team has been damaged. The trust between um, boots on the ground and the elected members has been damaged. Um, is, that insur- is that insurmountable? We'd like to think not. But it, it, it didn't just, need to be like this. It, it didn't because it, it appears to me really, really obvious that the right thing to do, thinking about values, cultures and behaviours, which we know has been a huge subject, is if you're looking to make over 100 people potentially redundant, but there is a redeployment option, you would think that you would scope out, describe, sell, encourage people to look at that option as something that's going to work for them. And yet they can't describe that option. And that, to me, I find I'm speechless. Well, you're speechless because, you know, we've been here before. We've had similar situations in terms of proposed station closures and job losses, et cetera. Not obviously on this scale where the whole of the on-call units are going to be removed. But you're right, services do their due diligence and they, they any employer would need to take their employees along with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they would need to be confident that should any, you know, it shouldn't be a basic question, it should be a technical question. But every question should be answered or answerable, and it, and it's not. Um, there, there is a there is a right way of doing change, uh, and then there's the Warwickshire proposals, unfortunately. Um, but 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 the other thing, the important thing, while we're going to deconstruct the proposal because it, for all the reasons we've discussed earlier, it's the wrong thing. What the FRSA does do is it comes up with solutions as well. And that's what we will do. So we we strongly believe, and we've got a a huge amount of support, that these proposals are not fit purpose. We strongly believe that the status quo is not an option. There is a problem and it needs to be um, tackled. But what we will do is we will come up with alternative solutions to overcome that problem. That, That will have the necessary evidence and data and detail behind it to support it that suggests it needs to be acted upon and it's about rebuilding bridges getting new membership and i would absolutely really encourage people out there listening to this who aren't frsa members to look at what we could do in terms of rebuilding you know deconstructing and helping rebuild this to come out with something that that could be fit for purpose because we've done that just on that, Ben, and I genuinely strongly believe this and would say this, that it is my belief that the FRSA will be the only union within Warwickshire Fire and Rescue Service that deconstructs this proposal and comes up with an alternative publicly and privately. Mm-hmm. Because we strongly, that, that is what we are all about. We are there for on-call, whole time, uh, control, green book, the, the arguments, it, it's all about the strength of the argument, not about one particular duty system. I believe we're the only ones who genuinely believes in the on-call duty system. We've been talking for 15 minutes, and, and at, at the start of this week, we spoke kind of 
in general terms across the UK about the on-call, the lack of improvements, the lack of recognition that there's a need to evolve and implement exciting new solutions. And I find myself in my role as an FRSA rep at times having to ask the question, why would you treat the what Why are one group of your employees singled out, treated in a way that I don't think aligns with our values and our expectations? And this to me feels like something that's been bubbling along in the back of my head for the last 15 minutes is, would you do this to other groups of staff within your employment? And, and why is it okay for the on-call to get the, 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 the not-so-good end of the deal? all the time continually it's an unconscious bias it's a conscious bias and and what i would like to do is out of this warwickshire conversation is to, is to put that question front and center say why is this okay and ultimately there's legislation that looks at how part-time workers are treated they are part-time workers they have rights they have huge potential rights and, and i think that's where this conversation needs to go doesn't it yeah absolutely we will we will do everything as we've done before we will do everything in our power to support our members in Warwickshire to ensure that these um, ridiculous proposals don't come to fruition and that they receive the necessary support to improve recruitment and retention in the county. It's been a it's been an interesting 52 minutes. Um, it's been uh, a worrying 52 minutes. It hasn't been a particularly uplifting 52 minutes, but thank you for your time today, Tristan. Um, and once again, I'll put out that that it could call for people who are interested in joining FSA. Please, please, please make contact with us. Join us. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for your time. Um, really good to see you again and look forward to seeing you again soon. Fantastic. If you enjoyed this episode of Priority Message, why not subscribe to the podcast and recommend to your colleagues? We hope you will be joining us again soon.